Hello and welcome to another episode of Tots or Thoughts on Things. I am your host, Ben Gardner. This is episode three of season one. I have been able to spend some time recording some new episodes, some great content, some awesome interviews. So I hope you are as excited to listen to them as I am to share them with you. Today, we are also joined with a very special guest, my lifelong friend and avid hiker, Brent Kynas. Thank you for uh, being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Appreciate absolutely. We uh, Hopefully this interview goes better than the fire that we just tried to start in <laughs> in 20 degree weather and, uh, you know, wind. 45 degree winds. Sure, yeah. But uh, yeah, so yeah, let's get to it. It's a pleasure. Right, so the reason that I have you on today, Brent, is because you just finished a major hike and I wanted you to share some of your experiences to talk more about your perspectives and really how you got started hiking. Sure, Ben. So my experience starts uh, through scouts uh, back in around 2013 when I had the privilege of attending Philmont Scout Ranch, which is a a large piece of property owned by the Boy Scouts of America um, in which uh, groups of around uh, six youth and a couple adults um, to oversee are sent on uh, two-week-long excursions through the uh, New Mexican wilderness, uh, and um, they have the privilege to learn a lot about themselves and one another uh, through, um, in the in the realm of scouts, what are more um, trying um, conditions and scenarios. Sure. Yeah. Um, so in order to prepare for that trip, um, I did uh, myself and a, and a number of under another a number of other individuals uh, went on some uh, short backpacking trips, and that really did open my eyes to the world of the outdoors. Um, I really did feel as if the more minimalist aspect of backpacking versus car camping uh, appealed to me. Um, it gave more time to focus on uh, some of the more interpersonal relationships between myself and the outdoors. Um, And so that leads me to uh, the end of senior year uh, in 2016 when um, kids our age were, you know, uh, formulating their plans for what came next after high school. Um, And at that point, I saw the value in college, but... I personally wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to pursue uh, as far as a degree went uh, through through college. Right. So um, I really did weigh and consider my options, um, and I felt as if I, I, I did kind of have the, the realization that, you know, long-distance hiking is something that's always appealed to me and, and has kind of been romanticized and... Uh, you know, bouncing around in my head for a while. So perhaps this would be a golden opportunity to, um, you know, dive in and, and submerge myself into um, more extreme high adventure uh, outdoor recreation activities. Um, so uh, I did kind of identify myself through senior year as um, a future through hiker of the Appalachian Trail 
in 2016. Wow. Which, uh, following our graduation, uh, I did end up embarking on. I I went southbound on the Appalachian Trail, starting in Maine uh, and ending in Georgia. How long did that take you? Um, That trip took me from June 3rd to January 13th. Wow. So it was right around six and a half months. That's over half of a year. It was over. You were hiking. Yes. What is that like to be hiking for such a long. I mean, I feel like most people might, if they're feeling a little unhealthy, they might be like, okay, why don't we get some friends together? We'll go hiking in the local park, but I don't want to be hiking for more than three miles. I don't want to be out there for more than two hours. What is it like to hike for over half of a year? It was daunting, to say the least. Um, you know, um, Beach Week was just beginning uh, yeah. when I was dropped off by my mother and father and sister up in uh, uh, Baxter State Park in Maine, 16 hours from our home in Maryland. And uh, when they left, I felt very cold and alone and overwhelmed. But thankfully, uh, I had right off the bat been introduced to a number of other hikers that were also embarking on the same journey as, as I. Probably having the similar, oh, same feelings the as same, you. Yeah, the same butterflies in their stomach. And um, and so that that gave me a sense of uh, security and uh, sure. feeling like I wasn't wasn't alone. And, you know, I was in right. this with some others, to say. Yeah, did, did they share similar motivations to you that – they just felt this calling or what's the reason that most people decide that they're going to hike for half of a year? I'm not so sure there's any one reason. Uh, everyone has their own reason. Um, however, you know, there are definitely some similarities among us through hikers. Um, and those are things we can dive into, but, uh, um, it really does attract people from all walks of life. Addicts, millionaires, you know, uh, successes, failures, Um, and everyone in between. Everyone from every demographic. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think not all the, not every thruhiker comes from the same, uh, walk of life and everyone does have a different motivation for, for hiking. Um, however, I do think that most thruhikers tend to pursue their aspirations of, hiking a long-distance trail uh, due to a feeling of not wanting to bury their dream in a drawer that's labeled someday, but rather um, pursuing their dream as more of a need in their life and uh, recognizing it as something that's necessary to their feeling of accomplishment and success in life. So something that I wanted to focus on in this episode of the podcast specifically is the culture surrounding you long distance hikers and you through hikers. Uh, And I guess more specifically speaking about your experience within this culture on your most recent trek. So could you speak to that a little bit more? Sure. Um, So, uh, the long-distance hiking community is quite an interesting one. Um, many long-distance hikers consider themselves what's known as hiker trash. Uh, 
What is hiker trash? So for those of us who consider ourselves hiker trash, we use the term with pride as a statement of our beliefs and as a testament to the miles we have under our hip belts. Usually that goes along with uh, a more rough and tough lifestyle of okay. being in the dirt day in and day out. Um, Smelly? Shooting the you-know-what, um, <clears throat> not taking showers for prolonged amount of, amounts of time. Okay, so definitely smelly. Definitely, definitely smelly. Um, um, yeah, elbows on the table, burping, you know, at the, at the dinner table. Sounds like you just have, as a group, just abandon all <laughs> sense of manners. Yeah. Um, I would say that we're a diverse group of individuals that come together to kind of create our own dialect, um, our own customs, and even our own lifestyle to some extent. So you're like a different race or group of people almost. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you look at soccer fans and you say, okay, well, that's that's a different breed of people or football fans. Uh, you know, we have the Ravens doing really well right now. And you look at some of our fans sometimes and we get really animated. But I, I don't know if we necessarily abandon all of our manners and, and things like that. So why why is it that hiking has attracted such a diverse and interesting group of people? And why is it that you seem to have formed your own national identity? Well, um, I think the reason that a lot of people do associate with each other uh, so mm, deeply on the trail is because we're all going through the same uh, trials and tribulations, the same hardship together. Sure. Uh, And believe me when I tell you that it does get hard at times. It gets darn hard. Um, You know, um, there, there are days when all you can think about is wanting to quit. You're down in the dirt, you know, it may be pouring rain, there's no dry place within walking distance, and you have to keep going. You're you're faced with no other choice than what's what's ahead of you or, or what was behind you. You you can always go back. But uh um yeah, it's it's there's the thrill of the unknown uh sure. that that uh that kind of fuels us and uh Sometimes that gets us out into some pretty interesting uh, scenarios. Absolutely. So yeah. you were just on the Pacific Coastal Trail, the PCT. Mm-hmm. How many miles is the PCT? The Pacific Crest Trail is 2,650 miles. Wow. So mm-hmm. that's a little bit bigger than the Appalachian Trail. It is. It's about 450 miles longer. That's insane. Mm-hmm. So... In in that same vein, talking about those hard days, what was your hardest day through those miles? I mean, I I uh, I think about hiking more than five miles, and it just makes me tired thinking about it. Sure. But you hiked thousands of miles, so what was your hardest day, and what really got you through it? <sighs> um, that's a great question, Ben. Um, if I had to identify the hardest day on the Pacific Crest Trail to myself, uh. It would be through the Sierras. Um, so I had, I to be uh, to be uh, clear, I actually am not a complete through hiker of the Pacific Crest Trail. I have completed around two thousand miles out of the twenty six hundred miles um, in total. Um, 
So I went from uh, the northern terminus uh, in, in upstate Washington, uh, the border of uh, the United States and Canada, uh, through Washington, which is about 400 miles, into Oregon, uh, through the state of Oregon, which is about 500 miles, into California. And then once I reached California, I walked for about 200 more miles before deciding to actually skip the rest of Northern California. So skip about 400 miles of the trail in order to reach this, the high Sierras, which are through uh, the midsection of California, uh, before winter truly set in and before they became impassable. So, so what, is, what does impassable mean through those mountains? What kind of conditions are you experiencing when you are hiking through there? So the Sierras are regarded as a very... Um, a very hostile uh, environment, a very, very um, potentially dangerous and deadly environment to be in if you don't have experience and or knowledge about the uh, the weather, about the conditions, and about uh, the potential um, for what for what can come. So have people died crossing through the Sierras like you wanted to do? Absolutely. People die every year, um, and this year is no exception. Um, several this year. Several this year um, throughout the Sierras, but even on the trail itself that, that goes to the Sierras. That's um, insane. Yes, yeah. Um, it's not for the faint of heart at all. Absolutely. Um, but um, after a lot of research and uh, motivation, I decided that the Sierras are the pinnacle of any Pacific Crest Trail through hikers journey. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it was it was a part of the trail that I didn't did not want to miss at all. Sure. Um, so the Sierras were definitely a uh, a difficult section for me. Um, after skipping the 400 miles uh, in of northern California and reaching the Sierras at South Lake Tahoe um, and also a uh, there's a there's a checkpoint known as Kennedy Meadows North, which is a uh, a pack station, kind of like a like a ranch, um, pretty remote, um, where you pick up your bear canister, which is required through the Sierras. Uh, you pick up uh, your your rations and supplies for about another week until sure. reaching uh, your next civilization. Um, so I. I began my trek through the Sierras uh, kind of... This is hard for you to talk about. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, there were a lot of uh, emotions and feelings and, and uh, s different signs that I, was, that I was trying to be in tune with before uh, putting myself into a vulnerable situation. So... Um, I, I went through, I went from Kennedy Meadows north to, uh, through Yosemite, um, and ended up severely hurting my left ankle, um, by rolling it and, uh, severing four ligaments, uh, of my ankle, um, which forced me to take some time off the trail in Mammoth Lakes, uh, which is a popular ski resort town in, uh, California. And so, after after taking that week off and dwindling my 
my savings to some extent and uh sure it's expensive losing, to get seen. losing my friends uh you know watching them continue on without me um i i went back into the into the sierras um and this this particular section uh between mammoth and bishop is regarded as the most difficult section of pretty much the entire trail for the reason that it it has it's about 130 miles of some of the higher passes uh the trail goes from about 7000 feet above sea level to about 14000 feet above sea level wow. um and you're you're climbing these high passes on a daily basis about 1 to 2 a day now how dangerous is it to go through one of these high passes um what could happen if you make a mistake um you could slip and fall potentially Although that is a a less common injury, uh, that's usually a way people hurt themselves and aren't able to get themselves out personally. But they're still okay. Um, however, if you don't assess the weather situation uh, correctly, you could definitely find yourself in a life-threatening scenario, um, which a number of people have. Um, and uh, so it, it turns out that when I went through the Sierras, actually, we had crystal clear, beautiful weather. Uh, we, you know, we watch, we watch the radars like a hawk. Sure. Um, the last thing we want is to be caught out, um, in the Sierras without a way out. Because the other unique thing about the Sierras is the remoteness. Uh, often when you're in the Sierras, actually the, the nearest exit point is at least a day's walk away. So if you want to enter or exit the Sierras, it's an entire day's walk. So getting out is not exactly easy. I bet that um, made you nervous, especially after hurting your Absolutely. Leg. Yes, yes. So I had just gone over Forrester Pass, which is actually the highest pass on the Pacific Crest Trail at about 13,200 feet. And uh, I, let's see, I believe I had done, done about five miles at, at, the, at the top of Forrester Pass. And by the time that I reached the bottom, um, I was just burnt out. I was alone. Uh, Mount Whitney was a day's walk ahead of me, which is the highest mountain in the lower 48 states. Um, and uh, and I just wasn't sure if I wanted to keep going or not, or if I could if I could keep up with the physical demands that the trail required. Um, it was it was definitely a, uh, a a difficult a difficult point for me. That was that was my toughest day, no doubt about it. Uh, between the the physical pain that I was feeling and just the emotional um, uncertainty and and doubt about the the rest of the trip, how much were you considering quitting at that point? Very, very, very. Uh, I was considering quitting very much. And so you camped there that night. Um, so the day the day after I went over Forster Pass, yes, I I did about ten miles in total, which. For a thru hiker is not much at all. Uh, I mean, that's for for a normal person. I, I also just <laughs> want to point out, just to give you uh, some props, that that's a lot of miles to well, do in a single day. So sure. that's impressive to me, at least. Sure. Um, yeah, but uh, I I had a, a GPS messaging, a GPS uh, SOS signal beacon that also uh, allowed me the the ability to text message different people um so i was i was messaging my mom and dad uh really kind of asking them for motivation because i i knew that yeah. i needed it 
um, and uh, they they gave it to me. Um, I was I was tempted to, to hit the SOS button, even though I had absolutely no reason to do so whatsoever. And so to uh, clarify, and I didn't want to anyone else's live. Sure. Uh, to... What happens when you do hit that button? Um, sure. So uh, uh, when you when you hit the button, it goes to dispatch center uh, owned by Garmin. Uh, and Garmin will uh, contact the search and rescue uh, organization for wherever your signal is going off. Uh, they provide, they are able to communicate between the victim and the rescue group. Uh, so they're able to ask, you know, whether you're able to uh, get yourself into a, a better position for, for rescue or not, and the extent of your injuries. Uh, however, I had no injuries whatsoever, so... You were just so burnt out and feeling so I was. alone, yeah. I'm sure, that that felt like a viable option. It did, yeah. There was a great patch on the top of the mountain that uh, that looked tempting, but again, I... <laughs> a helicopter yeah. could land they would right not have there, come. and... They would yeah. not have come, yes. So, um... Is that why you didn't press the button? Because you convinced yourself to keep going, or because you knew that they wouldn't come? I knew that they wouldn't come, and that, uh... I, I could potentially be fined. So so I, that almost worked in reverse as sort of a motivation. Mm-hmm. Like there's nothing that wrong with me unless I go over and uh, drop that rock on my leg. This is true, yes. I'm not getting out. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, uh, the Sierras are a particularly hard hard spot for search and rescue groups uh, too. So um, I didn't want to uh, waste their resources or time or, yeah. or energy. So. So was it the messages from your mom and dad? What was the main motivator that told you and gave you that kick in the pants and just said, I have to keep going. I need to finish this. Oh, gosh. Let's see. So I remember reaching what I decided was, was going to be camp that day. Actually, I, I was planning on going 10 miles, and I ended up going 11. Uh, that Those last few miles, I was kind of cruising off of Forester Pass. And uh, I came to a really nice campsite that, that was next to a beautiful flowing river with a, with a small waterfall. Um, I, I put my feet into the below freezing water to kind of uh, reduce some of the swelling. Um, but that felt real nice. But uh, night very quickly fell and uh, ended up getting really really cold so i dove into my sleeping bag i was the only person camped there until actually later uh, a couple did come along um at around nine o'clock which is well past the average hiker's bedtime um but <laughs> so you guys uh, maintain curfews we do we do yes uh sundown is is considered hiker midnight so usually around seven o'clock uh most most hikers are in bed wow um, see because when you describe Hikers and hiker trash right. is this crazy group right. of individuals getting uh, plenty of sleep doesn't exactly seem like it right. fits within that uh, culture. It's true. We kind of have uh, one leg on each side of the fence, but yeah. <laughs> so you get to camp, you're cold, you dive into your sleeping bag, another couple comes into the camp. What's going on through your head? Well, I remember, um, I remember contemplating whether to climb Mount Whitney or not. So at this point, my ankle was in uh, a pretty, pretty bad state. So you'd uh, been seen by a doctor, mm-hmm. 
before this in that yes. beach town? Mm-hmm. And what had they said leading up to this? Did they tell you that you shouldn't be hiking? Well, so um, tearing a ligament, uh, the 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 standard answer as to how to to heal an injury like that is to stay off. Wait, you uh, mean it's not to hike a couple more thousand miles? <laughs> um, well, uh, in, indeed, you're, you'd be correct, yeah. Uh, that, that was something that I knew, and that, that was something that I was up front with the doctor. The doctor knew that that wasn't really an option for me. I didn't have a, a month's worth of savings to spend in a, in a ski resort town. Um, sure. You know, I... I it, that would be the end of, of my hike if I had stayed in town. So it sounds like month. along the trail, this was not just a decision that you made from the beginning. Okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to stick to it no matter what. This was something that you struggled with. And I think that me knowing you personally, I know how dedicated and committed you can be to things that you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. So to me, to hear that you are struggling with, should I keep going? just really tells me about the different trials that you must have gone through. I mean, tearing a ligament is not not a joke. And so to me, hearing about your struggles really tells me that this this was probably one of the biggest undertakings of your life mm-hmm. up to this date. Mm-hmm. So you hear from the doctor, you should be resting, you shouldn't be on it, but he kind of knows, okay, he's going to continue and you keep hiking and now you're in your sleeping bag You've tried to reduce the swelling with some water, but it's just, it's still really bothering you. And you're trying to decide, do I hike Mount Whitney? What happens? So I decided that rather than hiking another two days into the next town uh, to resupply and skipping Mount Whitney altogether, uh, which is not on the Pacific Crest Trail itself, but which is right there you it's know, a, a staple. golden opportunity yeah absolutely um, um i decided that despite my injuries um i was going to persevere and hike over mount whitney since i was there you know one in rome um and as you know as kind of a reward to myself that uh after going up over or after going up mount whitney that i would actually go over the the front side down into the valley to uh, to the town of Lone Pine, California, where uh, there was actually a a, a music or a, a film festival going on, and uh, I hope to get some some warm food in my belly and a a nice sleep that night after pushing myself so hard. So um, I did camp uh, near the base of the mountain um, that night. Uh, I pushed pretty hard to get there, um, and really did try to take a moment to, to take in the beauty uh, of, of this, the majestic surroundings. Um, and I'm sure to think about, oh man, what have I gotten myself into? I've made this decision course. to climb yeah. Mount Whitney, and yeah, and alone, yeah, yeah, alone too, alone. It was, it was uh, lonely. Um, but in a good way, uh, the solitude was, was ah, beautiful. It was, it was serene, you know? Um, so that next morning I, I made sure to self-discipline myself to get up as 
on the earlier side so that I could uh, hike up the mountain without being in direct sunlight uh, and, and really dying from the exhaustion of the, of the heat of the sun. <laughs> so, uh, so I did get up at around 5 a.m., I'd say. Uh, How was your foot feeling that morning? Um, at that point, my foot was painful enough that it was giving me trouble sleeping. But with enough ibuprofen, I would be able to kind of dull the pain. So, uh, due to the fact that uh, a, a good friend of mine named Toast did give me some extra ibuprofen the day before. Hold on. Mm-hmm. Two things. So, number one, uh, we just want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Ibupro. I'm just kidding. Um, okay, wait, you said Toast. Yes. There, there's a man. Huh? It's a man. Mm-hmm. Named Toast. Okay, what, what, what's the backstory behind, why do you call him Toast. I'm actually not exactly sure. Uh, you meet a man named Toast, and you don't ask him why his name is Toast. No. Is uh, this common on the trail that people have these wacky names? It is. It is common on the trail. Uh, everyone in the, on the on, in the long distance hiking community does tend to go by what's known as a trail name. So trail name is just a uh, nickname or kind of like a like a pseudonym that people use while they're on the trail um, to, I don't know, kind of take on a, a new persona I mean, in some it ways. seems like fun. I don't know if I'd name myself Toast, but it sure. seems well, like fun. Now, what was your trail name? My trail name is Peak Freak. Peak That's Freak. Peak Freak. I always have to say it twice. All right. Yeah. And that's also your Instagram, is it not? Of course, yeah. Peak underscore freak. Check there we go. Out. I'll yeah, give yeah. you a little shout out. Thanks, man. Appreciate <laughs> that. Yeah. Okay, so you were talking about Mount Whitney. So you yes. get up early in the morning. Uh, thank God your friend Toast, still never going to get over that, had given you some ibuprofen, which had helped you sleep the night before because your mm-hmm. foot was bothering you. And you get up, and I'm sure you look at the mountain, and what are you thinking? Here we go. Uh, <laughs> once I start going up, there's no going back. It was a longer way back than it was forward. So um, so I, I started up the mountain, and uh, I'll be honest, I actually had some great momentum. Um, I was really, really jazzed. I was, let's see, I think I did the first two miles in just about, yeah, 50 minutes, which is right on pace for, for a normal a normal pace on trail, uh, despite that elevation. Uh, I mean, it was pretty much just a staircase the whole way. Oh, wow. Um, so, Good uh, for your calves, though. Oh, great for the calves. Um, <laughs> but I, I did get to uh, kind of a, a stopping point um, where the, the trail that, that links the PCT to the Mount Whitney Trail... Uh, it, it intersects the Mount Whitney Trail where day hikers come from a parking lot uh, up to the summit. So I, I was coming to an intersection meeting a number of day hikers that had also set out that morning um, to do the, the mountain that day. Now how and, far up Mount Whitney is this intersection? Ooh, um, in terms of feet, I would say... Or just a rough estimate. I will, so I, I know that it was two miles from the top. Okay. Two miles from the top of Mount Whitney. So you're running into some day hikers now. You've got yes. some good momentum going. Yes. Uh, and I actually happened to run into uh, my good friend, Tim. Uh, oh, Tim. Mm-hmm. 
Not a breakfast food name. Not a breakfast food name. Uh, Tim, I had met in the town of Lee Vining uh, when we were actually forced out of Yosemite due to uh, a mandatory evacuation. Um, and uh, Hold on. Yeah. A mandatory evacuation. What was going on in Yosemite? Oh, well, Are you allowed to speak about it, or is absolutely, it uh, a yeah, yeah. Men was, in Black kind of situation? <laughs> or that was their first snow of the year, and uh, the park rangers were actually quite surprised by uh, the, the mandatory evacuation themselves. But um, I had literally just arrived into Yosemite uh, at three o'clock, and I learned that at four o'clock, um, the road going in and out, the only road going in and out of the park, would be closed. Uh, and it had just so, it just so happens that at three o'clock when I arrived, the store, um, in, in Yosemite, uh, had actually closed for the last time that season. Uh, wow. What so great timing you that, have. uh, that left me without any way to obtain food within the park. Um, and so my only option to resupply uh, in Yos- when I when I reached that road was to get out of Yosemite, and at the same time there was a search and rescue that I was asked to be involved in, so that held me up. Oh, uh, ended up getting to the road late, but I managed to to get out, and that's where I met Tim. Um, so all right, so that was uh, that was quite the backstory on Tim. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the non-breakfast food named through hiker. Yep. So. And again, I, I, I hate to stop you, no. but I feel like we have gotten into this pattern of you say something insane that's happening, and then the story keeps going, and I get really confused because over here in Maryland, yeah. and uh, when you're going to college or just home for the holidays, you know, you typically don't get evacuated from a state park, or you know, things aren't happening with people named Toast. Or your ligaments aren't snapping. So I, I just want to keep in mind that you have already gone through so much to get to this point, And now you're doing, this is the highest elevation mountain. It's it's off of the trail. Mm-hmm. And, and you have good momentum and you're meeting the day hikers. And what happens? You're talking to Tim. So, well, Tim and I did end up successfully making it to the top of Mount Whitney. Um... It takes some people as much as 12 hours just to reach the top, and we managed to do it in just about three. Um, and, you did uh, in three hours what most people do in 12 hours. What some people do in 12. Okay. Um, I We forget. We forget that, that thru-hikers are a different breed. Oh, we are. We are. Um, and so after success, successfully reaching the top, uh, that's actually where Tim um, Tim's journey on the John Muir Trail uh, ended, and he was headed down into the town of uh, Lone Pine. Um, so I, de- I decided to follow him. Uh, and so we descended, gosh, I want to say around 10,000 feet, um, over nine miles uh, into the valley. It's um, quite an undertaking. Oh, it was it was some insane elevation, yeah. Now, how was your foot feeling at this point? My foot was actually feeling okay. Um, I really? was, I was probably overdosing on ibuprofen at that point. <laughs> uh, I think I'd probably taken around five that morning. 
Um, <laughs> oh, great. And, uh, you know, this is a perfect time to stop again and thank our sponsor, Ibuprofen. Vitamin for I. Vitamin <laughs> I. Yeah. So you're feeling good. The foot's doing okay. You've just ascended nine, oh, I'm sorry, 10,000 feet in nine miles. You're getting into the town. The film festival's there. Tim is there. What's going on? So, um, I was looking for a, a cheap place to crash. Tim's girlfriend actually ended up paying for a lodging for himself since it was the end of his uh, long long journey on the John Muir Trail. Um, so kind of as a reward, uh, Tim had a hotel about a mile outside of town, and I was looking for a more budget option. So there was a, a hostel uh, known as the Whitney, Port- Whitney Portal Hostel, I believe, um, and it was about $35, and... Uh, it was just a bunk in a room, and um, I ended up staying there for a night and uh, trying to recoup from my exhausting day the day before. Um, come off of your ibuprofen high? Whitney. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, unfortunately, I will say that my stay at that place was not very enjoyable. Um, now, why is that? Ah, due to a, a number of reasons. Uh just mostly mostly relating to comfort uh noise um temperature uh it's not a good place yeah to yeah the accommodations weren't ideal in my in my opinion i mean it was uh, although, only 35 dollars many, many, many people would disagree with you yes yes okay it was only 35 dollars and uh the pre- there it was worth something where where sure. i was staying sure. i just didn't feel as if it was worth 35 dollars um, so, uh, the next night I did end up deciding, or the next day I ended up deciding to stay the, the entire day, uh, in, in the town as well, because, um, I was so exhausted. Now, how are you feeling about the rest of the trail at this point? Um, at this point, I, hmm, I felt as if. Climbing Mount, Whit- Whit- Mount Whitney was definitely a high point. Um, after calling my my loved ones, uh, they were really proud of me. They definitely put you know a smile on my face, and uh, you know they were they were cheering cheering for me back home. So uh, I didn't want to let them down. Um, you know, with this being the the last leg of my journey, uh, and it, that's that's the life of a through hiker. You always want what you can't have. So when you're in town, you want to be back out on trail. And as soon as you get back on, out on trail, you want to be right back in town where you were. So, um, so yeah. I mean, as, after getting that that shower and, and warm food in my belly, yeah, I was I was great. I was fine. You were ready to take it. I was on. ready to keep going. Yeah, yeah. Now, how was the rest of your journey? What did you have left to go? Um, so from that point on, gosh, I probably had around. I'd say about 800 miles to go, uh, maybe a little bit more, um, which I did successfully complete all of uh, the rest of those 800 miles. It's um, incredible. Minus a couple hitches here and there. Um, hitches referring to hitchhiking. Um, oh, you know, that's that's a no-no these it, days. No, no, that's not true. That's not true. It's an art, in fact. It's an it's art. It's an art form, yes. Really? Absolutely. Describe to me how sticking your thumb out for strangers is it? Well, okay. 
in all fairness, we kind of we kind of use our thumbs on our phones to True. have strangers come pick us up these days. Yes. But but explain to me how hitching is an art right now. Well, gosh, that's it's it's a it's an experience a lot of people don't have these days. Um, hitchhiking I feel like we were has all scarred been... when we were younger. Right. Yeah. We were told it, you can't do that. Exactly. It, it's been uh, it's been you know fed to us that it's it, it's uh, a dangerous activity due to uh, you know stranger danger and uh, um, just you know vulnerability of being. A traveler often, uh, you know, alone or uh, just at the mercy of the the kindness and the goodness of, of a stranger. So how do you take that and turn it into an art? Well, um, the art of getting a hitch is definitely, uh, it takes talent. Um, I'm assuming you have to look non-threatening. Well, yes, your appearance does greatly impact your chances of getting a, a hitch. So um, you do want to appear, in my experience, if you're around these trails, people who are passing are aware that thru-hikers are looking for rides. So you want to appear as a thru-hiker, not as a homeless person. Um, so, yeah, it does help to you know have your pack visible um, you want to be in a good corner where people can see you and have the opportunity to slow down. They need to have a place to pull off. If they don't have anywhere to pull off, they won't pull off. Um, it's important to smile. Uh, if you're a girl, it does help your chances of, of being picked up. Really? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, I don't know if that's a good thing or that's... Neither do I, then. I don't know. <laughs> neither do I. Um, but uh, I've never waited longer than about... I'd say two hours for a hitch. Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know if that's more of a along the trail thing. Well, certainly a, a more along the trail thing. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's more of a West Coast thing. I feel like here on the East Coast, we're right outside of Baltimore. Uh, you know, we don't really we don't really stop for people sure. with their their thumbs out around here. That's yes. not really a uh, an activity that's seen with. Uh, much respect or much uh, yeah. much intelligence if you're stopping and picking people up on the side of the road. Right. Yeah. So that's that's really interesting. Absolutely. So you hitch a little bit. You have 800 miles to go. What is the best part of those last 800 miles? What would you say is your favorite experience? Your favorite person you ran into? Hopefully not another person named Toast. So my favorite part about the last leg of the journey. Southern California in particular was um, definitely wherever I was at any given moment in time, whether that was on trail or in town, uh, whether I was by myself or surrounded by other people. Um, yeah, uh, the, the trail uh, was definitely, uh, I, I could see the end coming from a ways away and uh, you know, it was bittersweet, to say the least. So um, I really did try to try to savor and, and take in whatever was in front of me. Uh, the, the people, the surroundings, the environment, everything. So, yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. I feel like a lot of people think about time and they don't realize the older you get, the faster it goes. Yeah. And yeah. so... 
I think almost in a way that last 800 miles of your journey was like you seeing the end of, you know, your senior year of college. You're hitting, you know, maybe we could say the halfway point of your last semester. Mm -hmm. You're seeing all of these people that you have grown with over the years. You're seeing, you know, professors and mm -hmm. the, uh, in the form of hikers along the trail and yes. just um, those memories, I think, towards the end, at least from my experience, are so vivid mm -hmm. because you're really taking into account and saying, I'm almost done. Yeah, it really is almost like slow motion. Yeah. This huge undertaking that I decided was something that wasn't just you know, something to check off my bucket list, something that I wanted to do one day. Right. So something that I decided to do now. Yeah. And and to give up everything to do and to and to just see that come to an end, I'm I'm sure that must have been bittersweet. Yeah, it was bittersweet. Yeah. Very much split down the middle, fifty fifty. Yeah. 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 So you're back. You have completed the PCT. Uh most of the most PCT, of the PCT, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just for all the all the purists out there, not all of it, but most of it. Yeah. Most of it. Yeah. Well, certainly much more than I will probably ever do on the PCT. Hey, hey. But it's you always never know. mind over matter. Yeah. There you go. Yep. You never know. Yep. Um, so the last question that I want to ask you is: What is next for Brant? Where are you going? Are you planning another trip? And how do you feel? You are now considered an experienced hiker. Yeah, it does feel pretty cool being able to say that. I, I really do feel as if I have some pretty valuable experience uh, in the outdoors. I mean, at this point, I've spent over uh, a year uh, on, the, on the trail. I'm long-distance trails alone, um, and that doesn't include, uh, you know, Boy Scout camping trips and weekend stuff. So sure. uh, um, in terms of what's next for me... Right now, uh, I'd say that I have some other priorities in life other than, than hiking and uh, high adventure stuff that I'm I'm trying to pursue. Uh, looking to establish myself more as in terms of my career, um, in terms of my financial security stuff. Hey, like that. don't we all right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, um, can't can't have one without the other. So, um, uh, in terms of my next hiking high adventure plans uh i think that i would like to complete my triple crown which encompasses the appalachian trail uh the pacific crest trail and the continental divide trail uh so the continental divide trail is a 3100 mile trail going through uh i believe it starts in new mexico at the border of the united states and uh mexico and uh, goes up to the border of U.S. and Canada, uh, running through Colorado and a number of other a number of those other um, middle middle states. So, if you look at your hiking history, mm -hmm. what I think is interesting: how many miles is the Appalachian Trail? Two thousand two hundred. So, the Appalachian Trail is two thousand two hundred. Mm -hmm. The Pacific Coastal Trail is two thousand six hundred, mm -hmm. and then the Continental Trail mm -hmm. is 3,100 miles. Yes. So you have been building and building up to this trek. <laughs> yes. 
So this is like the final episode coming up it of is. your U.S. trilogy, you could yes. say. Well, yes, of the trilogy. Of the indeed, trilogy. Indeed, yes. 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 I, I am uh, I'm very confident that, number one, you'll be able to complete this crown, mm-hmm. but also I'm very confident that in your future there holds more oh, yes. than just the crown. Over 88,000 miles of long-distance hiking trails in the United States, so plenty to choose from yeah absolutely yeah well that's great it seems like this has just become something that you've set your mind on Mm -hmm. and i think it's admirable that you have blown through every obstacle that people put in your way to get there and best of my ability nature and hurting your foot and just low funds you have done it all with as little as you've been given and i think that's admirable and it's great to see that someone can not only have a dream, but put that dream in front of what society might deem acceptable and to say, you know what? Screw mm-hmm. it. Right. This right. is this is what I want to do. Exactly. So that's incredible. Thank you so much for coming. And uh, I appreciate you sharing your experiences and your perspective. And I think that's something that it's pretty rare these days, that drive. And so thank yeah. you for sharing. Thank you so much, Ben. It was an absolute pleasure joining you today. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's going to do it for episode three of season one. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Stay tuned. There might be a part two. We'll see. So stick around. Make sure you look out. And uh, I hope everyone has a safe and enjoyable holiday season.